0: Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-age child. I am your host, Christina Campos. Welcome, Impactful Parents. Today, we're going to be talking about why your smart child might be shutting down and not doing well in school. Hello, my name is Christina Campos. I'm founder of The Impactful Parent, and I help parents of school-age children turn their chaos into connection with their adolescent. I offer parent education videos every week, online courses, and coaching. And if that wasn't enough, I bring experts in on other fields onto The Impactful Parent stage to teach you even more. And today I have a special guest. Her name is Dr. Mary Grace Stewart. And Dr. Stewart is the founder of an organization called Ideal for Gifted. Uh, It's an online learning experience for children who are gifted and twice exceptional. Now, Dr. Stewart knows firsthand what gifted and talented children need, and she works with families to make sure that their children not only gets the best education that they can, but also so children can reach their full potential. And today, Dr. Stewart and I will be discussing what is gifted and what isn't giftedness, plus why some smart kids have behavior problems in school. So I'm excited to have this conversation and just want to say thank you to Dr. Stewart for being here.
1: I'm delighted. Well, let's
0: start off with what is gifted?
1: In most circles, gifted um, in the general public is understood to be a person who's very smart. And sometimes they think that that person would be very smart in a lot of different ways. But that's not actually the case. The situation is that when a student is significantly above average in any one domain, then they ought to be looked at more carefully. And when we uh, in the profession think about gifted students, we think about students who probably could function at a higher grade level in a subject or um, and this is very common, a student who uh, is way outside the box. (laughs) So when they give answers where the teacher goes, oh, wow, okay, (laughs) Um, it's correct, but it's just so different than anything. You know, the teacher says, I never would have thought of that. So they think outside the box, and they also have this phenomenon that occurs when they're doing something they're really interested in, the rest of the world just sort of falls away. So the main three characteristics are that they're above average in some domain, and you know they could be above average in dishwasher loading. It, it really doesn't matter. Because that's an indicator that they're above average in spatial organization. But above average in some domain, when they're in an area of their interest, their task commitment just makes the rest of the world fall away. And that actually is called flow. And then they're also creative thinkers. They think up connections that other people don't. And sometimes their friends will say, what? But that's the gist of it. When you, when you see those three things come together, you definitely should start asking questions about your child.
0: I love the examples that you gave and how we could kind of relate that to our own children. But what is some of the misconceptions as far as, oh, I think my child's gifted, but really that's not an indicator of giftedness?
1: Just because a student gets straight A's, for example, doesn't necessarily mean that they've got that internal drive and that they are creative in the way they understand the world. And so um, just because you're a good lesson learner or you you follow the directions really well, what it means is we call it schoolhouse gifted. So it's not bad. It's just not the same kind of a need as the student who is out in left field with their thoughts.
0: We have a lot of kids who we think are just so super smart and we actually, we know they're super smart. We're like, what, why aren't you doing well in school? And that could be so frustrating, not only for a teacher but particularly for parents who are just like, I just want you to reach your full potential. But there's a breakdown there, so what do you see as being the cause of some of that?
1: Well, there's three possibilities. one of them is that the student's bored to tears and they a a truly gifted child will often understand something before the teacher even says it she'll the teacher could be writing something on the on a board and the student understands it and they get it and they're done. <laughs> But teachers are taught to do something at least three different ways, and maybe as many as six. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, you've got this really bright kid whose mind is running like a Ferrari engine, and they got it. And so one of two things generally tends to happen after a while, and that is that they get up and run around, (laughs) they might even leave the room. They could start poking their neighbor, like, hey, this is really weird stuff, huh? And (laughs) didn't you get it yet? Or they might blurt out something like, what's the matter with you people? (laughs) Um, And so they get in trouble for that. The other option that tends to happen, and this tends to happen a little bit more with girls than boys, And that is they withdraw. So if you see a very, 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 very quiet child who's also, you know, very, very, very bright, they're sad and they're anxious and they're frustrated and they just tend to shut down. And we see a lot of this happening when it starts to get to about grade seven or eight. And we end up with what they call an underachieving student. Like, hey, all the way up through third grade, you were doing great. And then fourth grade hit and things have gone since then. So those are one of the two things. The third thing that it could be is they could have a learning disability or a learning difference. I myself am dyslexic. It wasn't diagnosed until I was over 40 years old. We just thought I needed glasses at first. Um, I was always the slowest reader. It's like, hey, Mary Grace, you know, you come up with these great ideas, but you're like one-sixteenth of the way through the book. And nobody understood back then what was really going on. And there's a lot of twice exceptional, it's called, students. Students who are very, very strong in something, but they also have some kind of a special need. Um, We see it a lot with ADHD. We see it a lot with high-functioning autism. Um, Sometimes students are even misdiagnosed for high-functioning autism when, in fact, it's just that they're super smart in some area. The other thing is that, I mean, even Einstein quit school (laughs) because he was angry about how boring school was. And Edison's mom pulled him out of school and said, this is stupid. You already know all this stuff and stuck him in a barn with a whole bunch of tools. Thank goodness. So it's either they're acting out because they already got it. They're shutting down because they're feeling so out of place. Or there's another need that's not being met. And it's hiding because they're bright and so they're and they're covering for themselves
0: would you say that twice exceptional gifted children are more common or less common than let's say the
1: average gifted child like how common is twice exceptionality it's really a small population so in general it depends on how you think about giftedness but if you have like five different subjects and a, and a child is gifted in one of them, then there's four other ones. And if you take all five of those and sort of a standard rule of thumb might be 6%, but if it's 6% times five subjects, that's a lot of kids. And there's a subset within that. <clears throat> and sometimes the special need is recognized. But the gifted is not. And that's like a recipe for disaster for that kid. Because if they're not, <laughs> they've already got a disability and they're not challenged.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> well, could, it's a I subset, like maybe
0: 1%. No, but I could definitely see it. As a, a school teacher, like I see these in my classroom all the time. And it's it's interesting to hear you talk about them. And I can even place names and faces in my head as you're oh, speaking.
1: Yeah, of these there was kids. that kid <laughs> and that kid. Yeah. It also manifests itself usually differently in boys than in girls, too we. Um the girls are more likely to try to compensate. The boys are more likely to just get kicked. <laughs> mm. Get angry and they might shut down too, but for a different reason. Or they might lash out. Yeah. Because they're just it's it's kind of like If you could imagine uh, to them, it's as if we're feeding them baby food and they're like eight years old. Like, hello, I'd really like some steak.
0: I love that analogy. And it just gives us a good example as parents of how that might feel so frustrating for a child in the classroom. So then tell me what do gifted kids need inside the classroom?
1: Well, There's a thing called zone of proximal development. And basically, if you think of the story of Goldilocks, it's not too hard, not too easy, just right. And it's difficult to do that in a classroom of like 25, 30. I actually had one class of 40 students (laughs) one year. Um, It's really, really, really difficult to do that. So... The thing that usually works is for the student to go down the hall to the next grade up for whatever that subject is that they're really strong in. And that's hard for many school districts to cope with um, for lots of reasons that are not really educational. Like, is it safe for a child who's six years old to walk down the hall to the other end? or is it going to cause stigma for that child or for the other children are the other children going to feel bad because here comes this little guy and he's got it and i don't Um, so it's complicated but if people are interested in that kind of thing the university of iowa has a center called the bell and blank center And within the Bell and Blank Center is the Acceleration Institute. And they've done over 30 years of um, research on thousands, like tens of thousands of kids. And the gist of it is, most people think, well, it's socially harmful to put kids with older kids. But when they're on the playground, nobody worries about that. Um, And once you're an adult, you know, you don't go to different jobs because of different age. So the finding is that in general, it's beneficial if the receiving teacher understands and is is just nice about it. They don't have to really go out of their way. They're gonna teach the same stuff. It's just, they've got a younger person in the room. And sometimes that could be, if it's a, a, a an extreme acceleration like two or three years, I've actually had kids doing four years. That probably needs somebody special to work with them because to, you know, for a six-year-old to be in with ten-year-olds, it's just such a different dynamic. They are, have only been on the planet for six years. The other guys have got a lot more savvy. Um, but for one year, the the um, Research is really good, you know, and and you don't have to do it, you know, a whole grade doesn't have to be in everything. It can be just in the thing that the student is strong in.
0: I'm glad that you're talking about this. I mean, ideally, our gifted kids would go to a gifted school so that they could be. In the same level of the same grade right. level as their peers and then still get the challenges that they need. But in reality, right. most gifted kids can't either afford to get into a gifted school or they don't know about it. Or there's a lot of complication with gifted education as far as usually those kinds of schools. They don't provide transportation. they mm. You're expected to do a lot of donations with it because they're private. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. we're talking about the general public, the average mom and dad, they may not be able to go that direction for a child to go mm-hmm. into a specific gifted education school. So then they fall right. upon this other alternative of, working with the teacher and the school that they're already with and mm-hmm. i'm wondering when you're talking and i'm and i hear what you're saying where you can accelerate a child i really like the idea of only accelerating them in the subject matter that they're very gifted in but then mm-hmm. you also get some other kids who might just be gifted in a f- couple different subjects and need to skip a year okay but mm-hmm. now we're getting into skipping two or more years I do see some issues social emotionally with these kids that are so much more immature social emotionally
1: right, than right.
0: their peers because they've been put into a you know a classroom of older children and significantly older children because I'm right. going to say two years skipping two grade levels that's a significant mm-hmm. difference it in is. a child's uh, social it, development.
1: It can also be like. If the child's in an elementary school and skipping a grade means that they're going to go to middle school, that's a whole different planet.
0: It's yeah, not... What do you recommend for those parents? Like, if you, but if well, your kid needs that, then you're like, ugh. You know, do I? Where do I go? I can't put them in a normal classroom. They might get bored and start acting out. And at yeah. the same time, do I put them into an older classroom? And now. They're not quite socially ready for that either. So what are just some things that you might recommend for that particular scenario?
1: If it's one year, you probably don't have to do anything because new kids come into the school all the time and it's just another new kid. If it's what we call radical acceleration, which is really only one way to go, there really needs to be like a team that's behind it. And Everybody needs to be on board and the other students need to understand why that child is there. And if it gets really radical, like three or four years, then you probably need to think about a completely different way of educating the child. There are other ways to do it in the regular classroom. If the child sees those kids as their peers, if they tend to hang out with older kids anyway, like a year older anyway, then those are their friends and nobody's going to notice the difference really. But, you know, if they're 10 years old and they're in with 14 year olds, they're definitely going to notice the difference, even if they're a tall 10 year old. Um, so the alternatives are to pre uh and if Instead of just starting and assuming everybody doesn't know, assume that some kids do know. And so pre-assess before you launch into something new. And then you're going to actually discover that not only does that kid that you know is really bright, but there's going to be other ones that you didn't know. And you can take the main concept and you can tweak that very high. Um, I had a, a little boy who was in first grade who was tugging on the skirt of his teacher and saying, teacher, teacher, what are the sum of the interior angles of a dodecahedron? And the teacher was like, I have no idea. I teach first grade. Um, so what we did was this, the rest of the class was learning tallies. In other words, how to count by five. and So we found him a a counting activity. When is counting really important was the question that he had to solve. And he spent the two weeks that the other kids were doing tallies working on that. And he came up with studying pharmacology a little bit with his grandpa um, and doing that, reading up on things um, while the other kids were doing their math. Now, he was clearly able to have done math at a fourth grade level, but he was six, (laughs) and he's still at that whiny teacher-teacher stage, so instead, he ended up giving a little poster, and at circle time, he said to the kids, what you're doing is really important, because, like, With medicine, I mean, if you count it wrong, you could, like, make somebody really sick. And all of a sudden, the entire class was into pharmacology. (laughs) So it is possible. But then that means that that classroom teacher has to be trained because that just doesn't happen magically. That happened because that teacher called me on the phone and said, the kid wants to know this. I don't even have a protractor. I have no idea. (laughs) So, you know, I did because I had been trained in how to go much deeper into a concept um, in a way that was at the level the child was ready for. And then teaching him how to express that in a meaningful way. So there is that alternative when it gets really, (laughs) really up there. Plus, when you're in secondary school, the schedule rules all I mean, you can't just go down the hall necessarily because there might not be anything of that subject at that time. So it can really affect your schedule. But what parents can do is they can level with their child and say, look, basically, these are very, very nice general practitioners. And in this area, much like with medicine, you need a specialist. So we're going to go to the library, to the community center, to the Y or wherever and get you connected with people who are a little bit older and who are doing what you're doing. I have a student right now who is five years old and she's a champion swimmer <laughs> in the great, in the eight-year-old group. <laughs> so she in a swimming club, you know, and that's what she needed. So the parents can also um, be helpful in finding their child's strength and interest and playing to it. Follow their bliss is how I put it. And when they're young, it's going to (laughs) change. They're going to, I bet you dollars to donuts that next year she doesn't want to swim at all.
0: I'd like to talk a little bit about the the child that you know is so bright Mm. but you also know that something is off and uh, the reason I like to talk about that is because I have one of these
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you can call me later (laughs)
0: yeah no I mean I have I do I have one of these kids And it took, uh, he's now 20 years old. So it took years (laughs) to figure out what was going on with this kiddo that I saw was so bright. I actually used to call him my gifted kid that's not gifted. And the only reason why I called him (laughs) not gifted is because I would take him to get tested and he would not score as gifted and come to find out later in his life he has dyslexia. <laughs> so uh, much like yourself, where he, you know, he was taking these exams, but they were, of course, all a lot of them written. were reading. <laughs> and he wasn't scoring well. And so I ended up uh, raising him to strengthen his learning difference. So his disability and saying, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to go this direction." And, strengthen it, like kind of the, hey, you can only be as strong as your weakest link type of mentality. Um <laughs> And put him in a school that was specific for that, like really strengthen his mm. weaknesses. It ended up working great for us personally, right. because this, this kid who I knew was really smart, figured out how to navigate his dyslexia yeah. in a way that it wasn't a disability anymore. Now it was just right a part of who he was. He knew how to manage it. He knew how to grab resources to help him read better, to help him comprehend better. He's very successful now. And I'll, I'll maybe I'm going to be a little proud mom moment here. I he <laughs> even graduated valedictorian from that school because he figured it out. But having said all that, you know, I just want my audience to know with gifted kids, it's so complicated. And sometimes you mm. have situations like this that you need to through i mean that was a long-haul journey for me as a parent i'm not gonna lie that was not easy i
1: put 20 years
0: (laughs) i put lots of money into that kid to try to figure Mm -hmm. out how to help him the best and we went through different kinds of therapies to do that and all the while going i get him to achieve and so You know, with parents who might be in the thick of it and not at the end of it, like I am now, you know, what kind of recommendations do you have for that parent that's like, I don't get it. I know my kid's so smart, but what's going on?
1: Well, instead of just getting uh, like an IQ test, I would encourage them to get what's called a full neuropsych evaluation and that it be done at a place even if it costs, you know, an arm and a leg, have it done by people who understand gifted because what you're talking about is twice exceptional kids. And I say to the parents, look, if you feed the monster, it won't be so bad elsewhere. (laughs) This This is a cognitive nutrition issue. They are starving in that area of their strengths. And I should tell you also, that thank goodness for neuroscience's advances. We now know, for example, with dyslexia, that there's an advantage to it. They, the fact that things don't stay still on the page also means that they can shut their eyes and change things around. So if they go into engineering or architecture or art or building or anything that has anything to do with three-dimensional moving things around, they're going to really, really soar. And the kid who's great at math is going to be struggling because that's, even though we think of engineering and architecture as being associated with good mathematics, the mathematics will come The way you do it is you think, address the giftedness first, address the strength first, find the strength inside the disability. Because as neuroscience is finding, and some of the biggest tech companies are hiring kids that are on the autism spectrum because their detail orientation is so good. So good that they're better than that if they hire somebody who's not got that strength area. So <clears throat> find the strength. Give them opportunities to follow their interest in that strength. Um, in my personal case, what ended up happening was I went into art and theater because it didn't take as much reading. <laughs> um, so. Uh, find your combination where your what's actually your strength is working with your interests. And then if you need scaffolding or help with something, there's also a lot of help now. But only if you get the gifted part first, will the cognitive nutrition be sufficient That they can put up with the frankly annoying (laughs) piece of having to do that rudimentary stuff. Um, And, you know, there's things like, you know, books, audiobooks now. Um, There's speech to text. There's text to speech. There's all kinds of adaptations that used to be very expensive and very special that are now free. (laughs) So they were there for everyone. But step one, look for your child's strength. Like your kid who can't read has got every Lego in creation and has morphed it into an enormous thing. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Come here. (laughs) I know who you are. And you could have a kid who is very black and white. That's very common on the early autism spectrum. And they do things like when the, I'm also a very bad speller, which goes along with being uh, dyslexic. And so I tell kids, I'm a very bad speller. Please help me. And of course, my students who are on the spectrum will be great. <laughs> <They're> great <laughs> They're like you missed an R. And they don't have any compunction about telling you you're wrong because I'm wrong. (laughs) But in a regular classroom, when a student points out that a teacher did something incorrectly, (laughs) the teacher may not like it so much. But if the teacher is old, you know, (laughs) it's not that they're being rude. They're actually trying to help you out. Oh, this is their strength. They see detail. So take advantage of it. Yeah, it's all about letting their strengths and feeding their cognitive needs first, and then providing scaffolding of whatever type is needed for the special need. And that's even true in pretty extreme cases. So I still, if I have a regular book, I still have to use my finger word by word because my case is kind of extreme. But, hey, I got my doctorate, you know, Um, I got through it.
0: I love that, though, because you're a testament to how you can be twice exceptional and be very, very successful. And there's There's millions of people just like you. (laughs) And I don't want parents to be discouraged. Actually, I want them to have hope because it's really true. Like, there's no reason why your twice exceptional child cannot be not only super successful, they can earn a lot of money. They could, I mean, there's
1: really the sky's the limit like anybody else. My second daughter is earning more money than I will ever see (laughs) because she's a data person. We've known since she was three years old and crawled up onto the chair. That she was in love with computers, and that's been her thing and she's on the she's what they call high functioning autism um and a d h d but you put her onto some kind of computer problem, blow.
0: Tell me more about Ideal for Gifted. And this is your business. Um, who does it serve? And just tell me about it. What, could, what do parents need to know?
1: Ideal for Gifted is there for people like one kid we have in Oklahoma. He's identified as gifted. He's physically disabled. He was getting 45 minutes a week of um, what you might call thinking skill games. And that was it. That was not enough cognitive (laughs) nutrition for this kid. Um, And he's with us full time and he's very successful. And we do not put kids together by age. We put kids together by readiness. And you might see that, that's our one rule, be nice. So it also teaches tolerance and appreciation for each other. And we have special times that are just like recess, where they might play uh, a jigsaw puzzle together online, they might play chess online, they might. So they have a peer group, they're not alone. And that was the purpose. We're open to anybody who can reach us by internet and whose time zone doesn't conflict too much with the East Coast. So, you know, some of our students are on the West Coast and they take classes in the afternoon. Um, our program is set up such that it can be a full time school replacement or it can be uh, just a class at a time. Um, if their public school lets them pop out at that time of day to do that one advanced class, that's all that needs to happen. Um, And we're very, very, very aware of these kids' social emotional needs. It's lonely being 1% of anything. And so the fact that they at least have these peers that they can FaceTime with and write to and email, and they play chess online together, it's great. They have a community and some of them Like we discovered that there was a New Jersey person and a New York person who actually lived just across the river from each other. So they've actually physically gotten together and they're like good buddies now. So the point of Ideal for Gifted was to bring gifted education to places and to people that wouldn't otherwise have it. And also, especially to be um, sufficiently flexible and aware that we would be able to accept a lot of 2E issues. The fact is that giftedness is a huge range anyway. So when you're trained as a gifted education specialist, you're trained to do a lot of variations. Uh, Giftedness is very asynchronous. You know, they could be great at basketball, but really horrible in social studies (laughs) and vice versa. And that's another thing, you know, if somebody said, Oh, I'm sorry, your kid will never be a basketball star, would you care? I mean, like, okay. If you if they say, you know, your kid is never going to be able to read a book as fast as everybody else, does that upset you? Yeah. Why? Really, all it is is that human beings have strengths and human beings have weaknesses. And if we need to deal with that weakness, there are ways to do that. But there shouldn't be any shame. And there's an awful lot of shaming that goes on, even with a child that stands out because they um, get things done faster. We're now, you know, a 501c3 and we're beginning to work on, you know, our expansion. And our faculty, I think the world of. Um, It's a calling. It's not a job.
0: So if parents are listening to this and they would like to learn more about your company, where would they go?
1: All you have to do is type in the word ideal and then the number four and the word gifted and smoosh it all together and you'll end up at our website.
0: (laughs) In addition, audience, I'm excited to announce that Dr. Stewart has a freebie for all of us. And so tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, an awful lot of parents have a lot of questions, much like the ones you asked. And we offer a half an hour free consultation for anyone who will say, I thought Christina. (laughs) I thought Christina. And she said, (laughs) so. You know, the key would be to just let us know that um, they saw your podcast and they would like a half an hour chat with me to help them understand their child better.
0: And if you would like to become a more impactful parent, download the Impactful Parent app. The Impactful Parent app is free to download and full of episodes just like this one to help you in your parenting journey. So carry tips and parenting resources right in your pocket so that you can refer to it when you need it most no need to go down the Google machine of of searching and craziness. Instead, you have a reliable source right in your pocket so that you can refer to it whenever you have a big question. And it is about joining a community of like-minded parents who are just trying to be the best parent they can for their child. All of this and so much more can be found inside the Impactful Parent app. And since it's free you have nothing to lose so go to your app store on your phone or the and discover how you can step up your parenting game and become a more impactful parent but until next time you got this parents i'm just here to help thank you for listening today remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today. So go to theimpactfulparent.com and see you next episode.